0: Dr. Robert Marks, a well-respected orthopedic surgeon at New York Hospital for Special Surgery, came out with a recommendation for a line of science-backed NutraPharma products from a company called MEND. He said that established evidence shows that MEND can enhance both the quality of healing and the time needed for healing as well. I don't know about you, but so many supplement companies are out there, finding one that is not only recommended by great minds in the field like Dr. Marks, but also trusted by over 35 professional sports teams, is a win in my book. And right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase with code ORTHOSHOW. Head over to men.me and use code ORTHOSHOW, that's O-R-T-H-O-S-H-O-W, for 10% off. If you're interested in partnering with men, you can email partners at men.me for more information. All right, a super cool, different episode of The Ortho Show. We're bringing on two neurosurgeons. Get it out there. I can't believe it. We're bringing on Mike Wang and J.P. Colson. J.P. is a a fifth-year resident in neurosurgery at Russian Chicago, and Mike Wang is literally one of our country's most respected neurosurgeons in the spine space. Uh, It's a great conversation. We educate what's the difference between neurosurgeons and orthopedic surgeons and spine surgery and why these neurosurgeons are so damn crazy and they work so hard and all this other stuff. You're really gonna learn a lot from this episode. I really enjoyed it. I know you will too. Dr. Scott Sigmund, hashtag follow the fro.
1: From Medical Media, this is The Author Show.
0: Hello, world, Dr. Scott Sigmund, your favorite opioid-sparing orthopedic surgeon here for another episode of the Ortho Show podcast, where everyone knows we bring you the best and the best in orthopedics. We're taking just a slight pivot today. I'm excited. We're bringing on our first neurosurgeons to the program. We're going to educate. We're going to entertain. And it's just a pleasure to have you on. We have Dr. Michael Wang, who's a neurosurgeon, professor of neurosurgery at the University of Miami, is also a direct, the director of the Spine Fellowship. And we've got J.P. Colson, who I love, is a, a neurosurgical resident. He's a PGY-5. These two guys run the best neurosurgery podcast on the planet. I was a guest on their show. and We thought, let's flip it around, do a home and away, and get these dudes on the show with us as too. So, so Mike and J.P., what a pleasure it is to have you guys on. Thank you. Hey, happy to be here. All right. Awesome. I love it. I love it. All right. So, so Mike, let's start with you a little bit, you know, so- uh, we know you're a professor of neurosurgery, you know, you're incredibly, you know, well liked. You run across industry, you do amazing things on the podium. I want to talk to you a lot about your your opioid sparing philosophy, which you and I have shared uh, together. But tell us, you know, you know, when did you want to become like a neurosurgeon? I mean, that's not such a, like you can't just sort of wake up one day and say, I'm gonna be a neurosurgeon. So tell us the story.
1: All right, so I'm in medical school at Stanford, and uh, everybody at Stanford pretty much does five years of medical school. So you spend a lot of time doing research, uh, you don't really go to classes, and I was going to be a dermatologist. And uh, true story, so I'm I'm doing research in epidermolysis bullosa, for the, the geeks out there, they know what that is, lab work, getting ready to do early, uh, late match, I'm sorry, late match for derm. And my girlfriend at the time, her mom was this real, uh, you know, one of those tiger ladies, you know. Chinese style. Oh, yeah. And I'd be studying at their house in Malibu, California. And she would always say to me, Michael, why you why you read so much? Why you study so hard? I said, what is this lady talking about? I'm in medical school. And she goes, no, no, Michael, no need study so hard. And that was literally her accent, right? Yeah, I'm, yeah. Sorry, I'm not trying to be racist here, right? I'm Chinese, I can say this. Of course. And some people may not know that on a, on a, without the video, but she got <laughs> so deep in my head. It was like that movie Inception with Leonardo DiCaprio, like six dream layers down. i'm like i'm never going to be respected for anything that i do ever again in my life so what do i do i go to the extreme opposite which is neurosurgery
0: so pimple popper to brain surgery because of your girlfriend's mother's comments
1: back in the day i
0: love it great great story for sure all right so that was you were destined for it so jp you're a pgy5 you're a neurosurgical resident uh you're at rush residency right now in
2: chicago Tell us your story.
0: When when was it a brain surgeon, or we should say
2: neurosurgeon for you? When did it come around? Yeah, well, one day I just woke up and decided to be a neurosurgeon. Uh, <laughs> honestly, it was it was toward the end of college. I went into college um, without much ambition to be anything. I'm a singer and musician. I thought I'd be some kind of performing artist, maybe a writer. Um, and it wasn't until really late in my junior year of college that I had bounced my way through a few majors, wound up in the psychology department, uh, wound up in a neurosciences lab and really enjoyed that. And then like so many people that go from the sciences to medicine, I got bored in the lab and I thought I'd rather do things to help the people instead of figure out how to help them. And really with no context, no background or no exposure, I just thought, well, I like the nervous system. Neurosurgery I've heard is difficult. I like difficult things. I'll just do that. And so I decided to do neurosurgery simultaneously with deciding to do medicine with no exposure or context. Wound up at the University of Miami and started working with Dr. Wang here. Um, And then, really, within weeks of meeting him, decided to do spine. I love it. So first of all, the mentor mentee relationship,
0: right? Uh, On the ortho show, that's one of our favorite words It's just people just describe it. They're just amazing. The things that we've learned, I love the fact that the two of you have made a connection. It's a lifelong connection. You're doing a podcast together. You obviously you've done a bunch of research and other things together too. You know, Mike, I looked at your CV. I'm a CV guy. I always like to do my research before I get on. And one of my favorite things about your CV uh, is that you have your family listed right on the front page, Uh, you know, here I am, these are the people that matter to me, you know, so that work-life balance is is awesome. So that can't be by accident that you put that on your CV.
1: No, you know, some people tell me not to do that, you know, because nowadays you try to keep everything separated and all that, but uh, my family is pretty well integrated. And, you know, I, I wouldn't say that any neurosurgeon that's worth their salt has any kind of work-life balance, but, you know, we try to, we try to be inclusive. And and this Partnership with JP, let me tell you, it's been nine years now. JP, is he's been fantastic, great friend, ally, and our our podcast, we're so excited. It's a little different than yours, uh, but we're going to hit a million listens soon, which is not bad for a podcast, which is really for health professionals. There's only about 5,000 neurosurgeons in this country, so we're super excited. We're not as big as you, but it's a smaller field.
0: No, you know, Mazel Tov, guys, it's not easy running a podcast. I mean, you guys are like, it's a labor of love, right? I mean, you're clinical, you're working your ass off, you're in residency. I mean, you got plenty of time to, you know, get your hair done now and stuff, because, you know, you only you only have to work like 40 hours a week anymore. But no, I'm just kidding. But uh, so I, I want to transition from Mike's CV. And then I'm thinking, you know, JP, you're so funny, you're saying, oh, I woke up one day, I wanted to be a neurosurgeon. Before we got on, I asked if you were married. And you said no. So I got to ask you, dude, I mean, like part of being A neurosurgeon is like, so you can walk into a bar in Chicago and say, Hey, you know, I'm a brain surgeon. (laughs) Come on, that's
2: got to work for you. (laughs) I have truly never done that. Um, (laughs) That's probably a good thing. We we all have our share of moves, but I I think where the culture in our field is now, if anyone heard that I did that, or if I heard that any of my co residents did that, you'd be the laughing stock for years. That story would (laughs) never die.
0: Oh, I love it. But that's what it's all about is having those yeah. great
2: stories and great friends and the
0: esprit de corps of residency, right? The friends that you, you colleagues that you build for years for the rest of your life. So, we're going to do this is a little public service announcement, guys. We're like, we're educating. Now, remember, my mother, Judy, is listening. We have a lot of non physician, you know, listeners. So, whatever you say from a technical perspective, my mother, Judy, has to understand. All right. So, let's talk about the subspecialties in neurosurgery, because I think everybody just assumes you're a neurosurgeon, you take care of nerves. But at the end of the day, there's probably a very deep subspecialization in brain surgery, and then there is spine surgery. So Mike, give us a shout out on this as to what the differences are and the pathways to get there at this point.
1: Well, you know, one of the great things about being an ortho or neurosurgery is that probably for the next 30, 40 years, we're still going to be around. Nobody really knows about radiologists or a lot of other kind of doctors are being supplanted by you know, nurse practitioners and whatnot. Right. But orthopedic and nurses will be around ortho because it's so mechanical, probably neuro because it keeps growing. So everybody knows about Elon Musk and the the neural link that he wants to implant in monkeys and in humans and pigs and all that. So, you know, brain and spine, you can split it that way. And there's also peripheral nerve, which is a small part that we overlap with ortho hand and spine is 70% of all neurosurgery by trade. So most of neurosurgery is spine, but in brain, there are people who do vascular surgery like aneurysms and carotid stenosis and AVMs. There's functional neurosurgeons that there's various types. Some do epilepsy, some do brain implants for Parkinson's and future would be Neuralink. Uh, there's pediatric neurosurgeons. There are also trauma neurosurgeons. There are tumor neurosurgeons. Uh, and, you know, there's, there's so many different branches and every neurosurgeon likes to think they're unique so every single neurosurgeon wants to do procedures exactly the way they do it and that's part of our culture
0: and there's only five thousand of you that's not a lot i mean it really isn't i mean you know so you really can be who you want to be
1: well it's intentional you know it's funny because neurosurgeons want to believe that they're so extra important and there's a funny funny joke what's the difference between god and a neurosurgeon God doesn't think he's a neurosurgeon. <laughs> That's right.
0: I love it. I love it. Like one of my favorite t-shirts was is thank God for surgeons in general. But yeah, no, I love it. So, so JP, let's let's take it back up to you. You know, when I was a resident like you, you know, back in the day, neurosurgeons would operate on the spine, but they really took care of the nerves. You know, it was like decompressions or tumors, things like that. Uh, but it's really been in the last couple of decades where you guys have really transitioned to a very similar you know, you do a lot of the same things. You guys can actually now learn how to hold a drill and a, and a, and a mallet and hold like metal yeah. objects and do cool stuff, you know, like you're fixing stuff. So um, so tell us from your perspective as to, to why you've chosen the
2: pathway of spine versus brain. Well, I think that th- there's a few ways to answer that. There's the the overall field trends that you're alluding to, and then there's my personal taste. I think that if you were to really drill down so to speak as to what neurosurgeons do if you could distill it to one fundamental thing we decompress nervous tissue and that could be in the brain that could be nerve roots that could be the spinal cord but the fundamental thing that we do is decompression whether it's in a in an elective setting for pain or an emergency setting for a hematoma with rapid compression And that's, I think, born from those roots that you're alluding to, where when neurosurgeons historically would operate on the spine, it was mostly decompression, and then you and your colleagues would come in for the fixation and the fusion. Um, For me personally, I think that my love and my draw for spine surgery is, on the technical side, I really do like the procedures and the anatomy, but even just conceptually, the spine has moving parts. It's a series of joints it moves in space and there's postural aspects to it. And that really stimulates the way I like to think. Whereas brain surgery is a lot more about anatomy, the geography, so to speak, and navigating and how to get to a specific region. So I like the moving parts side of things in spine. And I also like that you're very frequently treating quality of life pathologies rather than life or death pathologies.
0: All right, Mike, do, do you guys know the term Mishigas? You know, it's a Yiddish term for crazy. I don't know if you guys know this. <laughs> right. So before we came on, Mike, JP's telling me that he's going to to do a spine trauma fellowship when he's done And What kind of crazy life is that going to be for you, JP? Come on, man. You're not married yet. You don't have any kids. How are you going to meet your wife? What's going on here?
2: Lots of call, to be sure. Lots of call. But uh, again, it's, it's what interests you. And Uh, For me, over the past few years, I've really developed a strong interest in paralysis and these acute injuries that happen to young people. And I, I always say this kind of as a joke. I grew up in Florida, in northern Florida, which is essentially southern Georgia, where Dr. Wang grew up. And I did my share of crazy things when I was young. The example I always give, besides my brother dropping me on my head, was that we used to, my best friend had this field behind his house. And it was nice, soft grass. And when it rained, the grass would get wet and slick the next morning. We would go out with a golf cart. We tied a rope to the back of the golf cart and we would sit someone in an oil pan holding the rope and just drive at top speed and then make sharp turns and whip the person in the oil pan to slide across the grass. And you got extra points if you hit a tree with your friend. (laughs) And so I always say that these are the kinds of things I did growing up and by luck or fate or what have you, you snuck I can still through. run and jump and walk and move. But, but there's plenty the of people, people that have people out it. there it's that exactly. were less lucky than me, someone's yeah. got to take care of them. So I I feel I feel called. All right. Well the, God bless you. Somebody's got to do it. So we're glad we found you. That's wonderful. All right. Now
0: Mike, you know what's funny? Uh you we see each other all the time. And what's interesting is it can be society meetings where we're both sort of talking about our opioid sparing strategies. But you were just at the OSET meeting, which is one of my favorite meetings. It's called the Orthopedic Summit, you know, uh, uh, meeting in Boston. And it's the best subspecialty meeting in orthopedics. And where I'm going with this is that here you are as a spine surgeon, uh, a neurosurgeon that operates on the spine, and here you are within the world of orthopedics. So let's educate Judy and our listeners as well. And what are the subtle differences these days between a neurosurgeon that does spine surgery and an orthopedic surgeon that does spine surgery?
1: Well, the fast answer is glove size. So um for the lay listeners, the average glove size for a human is seven and a half for an adult human. The average glove size for an orthopedic surgeon is eight and a half, and for a neurosurgeon it's seven. So it's a little different. <laughs> I've I never heard that before. I love I've it. Never I heard love that. it. It's, yeah, the glove manufacturers, they know what sizes to make, just like shoe manufacturers, right? Oh, that's awesome. All
0: right. <laughs> so, so all right, that's a simple. What's the more complex?
1: So I think if you take ortho, right? And and, and we can go really deep into this. Um, you know, I'll I'll one up you on the Yiddish. So, you know, neurosurgeons don't like to take a, take care of boobomites, right? We don't like that kind of, we want life threatening or limb threatening stuff. And so neurosurgeons are a little bit crazy, right? We, we, we like the, the drama intensity and all that it's almost to an extreme in orthopedics. If you take the extreme form of that, it's probably spine. The spine guys are the ones that nobody else wants to cover their calls. Nobody else wants to deal with their problems. It sounds really serious with what you call bone water. We call it spinal fluid. (laughs) So, if you take the extreme the most like us it would be the spine orthopedists and they they're they generate the most income probably right okay sure you take neurosurgery and you drag it over what's most like a normal person like an orthopedic guy right or gal that would be a spine surgeon so the the spinal neurosurgeons the true spinal neurosurgeons are the most normal neurosurgeons they don't like to kill people they don't like complications um, and they're much more, we call ourselves neuropods because we had to learn how to use a mallet and a drill and put in screws and, and rods and all. So we, we are like that bridge. So the ortho spine and neurospine meet sort of midway between ortho and neuro. Well,
0: I love it. That's a great explanation. But yet, you guys, I mean, at the end of the day, right, you're trained on the same techniques. I mean, if there's something deep inside the spinal cord, I know my. My, Mark Lapp is my dear friend and colleague we've known each other forever for 25 years he was my junior resident he's not an orthopedic surgeon he's a spine surgeon right so you know he he, does, he differentiates himself from the rest of us orthopods but uh you know uh, the the point being that um uh, i don't know where was I going with this i
1: just you lost were, my train we were talking about how we're different so there is still a little difference i mean yeah. a really good orthopedic surgeon is better than an average neurosurgeon and vice versa right so there's a lot of crossover but neurosurgeons are much better at a microsurgery much better at drilling fine little pass stuff like that orthopedists are much better at biomechanics they're better at getting things to be lined properly you know so that the body functions in that way so it is at its core quite different uh, in its but but if you do it enough years you become quite similar right
0: so I think, you know, one of the most important things, you know, I'll give you a, a, a line from one of my uh, pediatric sports medicine specialists, Lionel McKaylee, who developed pediatric sports medicine. And his comment to me, which I'll never forget, is he's like, Scott, unindicated surgery done well does better than indicated surgery done poorly. Uh, and so the point, the point I'm trying to make is in order to have a successful spine practice, right? Because there's so many patients with back pain but really, so few people that truly have back pain need spinal surgery, right? So your indications to have successful outcomes have to be super important. I want you to both answer that.
1: yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna follow up with that first, and I'll let JP go into the origin of our podcast because it is important mm-hmm. why we started this whole project and we love it so much it's like you love the ortho show. So um, I think it's the opposite for us. indicated surgery done poorly does better than unindicated surgery done. Uh, well, because you're exactly right. 90% of Americans suffer from back or neck pain at some point in their life. And spine surgery is unfortunately the field in medicine that's most rife with bad practice uh, and and profiteering and greed. So it is very unfortunate that it is like that. So you're 100% on point with that.
2: And I think what Dr. Wing is leading <laughs> to for the origin of our show, the neurosurgery podcast, um, it was really born in response to the Dr. Death podcast, which debuted right around the time I was graduating medical school and for many people outside of a fictional setting like McDreamy we always talk about or Dr. Strange uh, this was the first popular portrayal of a neurosurgeon to the American general public and the international public really and if you want to talk about indicated done well or, or vice versa that guy was doing unindicated surgeries poorly uh, at many institutions. And that story was dragged out and just laid out for all to see. And so Dr. Wang and I decided that there should be, if not a direct response, another source of information and insight into the real human people in this country who come to work every day to take care of those patients and do the right surgery as well. Great, great
0: point. I mean, I literally... I was sickened by that podcast. I really almost had a hard time listening to each episode cuz it just got worse and worse and worse as it went. Yeah. But so w- congratulations to the two of you, you know, starting a podcast is not easy. It's a, it's a lot of extra work. You got to carve time out you know, of your busy day, you got to have production, you know, Mike, you're, you're lucky. You got a you got JP who's like a wizard with all the technical stuff. Cause I know you can't do it, but no, no seriously, no, no, I've got, I've got Chanel and, and, uh, and my whole team and Grace and Jeremy on the back. So we have a big, you know, podcast crew that takes care of all that, but there's a lot of work. You got to find guests. You got to carve out time. You got to do your research to make sure you know what you're talking about. So I want to congratulate both of you on really creating something super important that really makes a difference in the lives of a lot of people. And, and a million listens is really terrific. Well, JP, so Mike, JP is uh,
1: really good at this. His you know, his musical training, he has a fantastic ear for sound, which has really helped us a lot. But can, can I just follow up? Because you do have patients listening. We don't really care for patients listening to our podcast. We're brutally honest yes. about the Insider Neurosurgery. This may be unique from from neurosurgery and spine versus orthopedics, say, sports, right? Which is what you're a sports medicine doc, right? Yes, I am. Here's what I tell patients, and this actually bears relatively true. If you see a spine surgeon who has five stars, meaning five out of five stars, there's a high probability that person's a criminal, and there's a high probability it's paid for. And I, I mean this in the truest sense that like, if you meet a spine surgeon and they're all like, oh yeah, and it's so warm and fuzzy. And we love Dr. So-and-so. He spent a lot of time with us and answered all of our questions. There is extremely high, I'm not saying everybody. And especially if they're, if they're like in the middle age, very young doctors, very old doctors, there's more you know, bandwidth of how people deviate back to their norm. But this is really scary for us because if you had spoken to Dr. Death, you would not know, you would have no clue that this guy is a psychopath. And neurosurgeons are very good. Surgeons, by definition, have a bit of psychopathy. I'm, I'm not saying we're psychopaths. There's a spectrum. If you're overly, if you're overly empathetic, you can't step on a bug, right? So you have to be willing to take the work to get people through a process. So there's a tiny, tiny one percent, you know. I'm not, it's sociopaths a wrong word, right? But people get what I mean. But there are some extreme sociopaths in our field. Some of them do good work, but most of them are busy taking advantage of prey, which is patients. And everybody who who does any research into spine knows that this exists. They don't know why it exists, so they're afraid of spine. It's very mm. hard to spot. If you if you if you meet a spine surgeon and it's like, oh yeah, five stars, perfect reviews, every review seven lines, this is a person that.
0: Yeah, no, there's way too much back pain out there. There's way yeah. too many, you know, you know, as good as you guys are, you know, we we all have complications, things happen, right? Uh, you know, uh, but I think it's I think it's fascinating. And remember, there's not that many of you guys, right? So in, in the world of orthopedics, you know, with 30, 40,000 orthopedists, you know, you trip over an orthopedic surgeon in New York City on every corner, right? So branding and social media and identifying who you are is important so that your patients can identify and, and sort of identify who they want to go and see, but for neurosurgery, you know, you know, my partner Mark Lapp, is the same way. Zero social media, doesn't get out there, doesn't do anything. He takes great care of his patients. He has wonderful indications. He has outstanding results, and he just lets that speak for itself. And he, he every day he goes to work. He's got too many patients to see, so he doesn't need to bolster that that process. But your point is well taken. All right, one of my passions, Mike, one of your passions, and JP, I hope it's gonna be one of your passions as well, is opioid sparing surgery. I'm giving my TEDx talk in Davenport, Iowa on October 12th, talking about the evolution of opioid sparing surgery, how we all were so schnookered by the big pharma companies and the societies, and you've gotta use opioids, they're inexpensive, they're not very addictive you were the first neurosurgeon in the United States to develop an eras protocol which for Judy is an enhanced recovery after surgery protocol which is a concept of identifying a process and a pathway to minimize opioids but yet provide outstanding outcomes for our patients and manage their pain where did that come from so why you know, did you do that
1: and JP really uh was part of the beginning of this I'll tell you it's really fascinating. People say, why do you work at a university where you give multiple millions of dollars to the dean as a gift every year and not just be a private <laughs> practitioner, right? Well, the answer is really simple. You get to work with bright, young, motivated, non-jaded people. And a young Dr. Karthik Matavan, who was a pre-residency fellow, meaning he had trained outside the U.S., said to me in 2010, Dr. Wayne, you got to check out ERAS. I'm like, ERAS, that's a process of applying for residency, right? That's the program for that. He goes, no, 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 no. You got to look this up. And we looked it up and we... Contacted Uli Lunquist in Stockholm and we built the first, not the first ERAS program, but but the first proven ERAS program that saved money, length of stay, and all that. Uh, we did it with a lot of help and a lot of, you know, a lot of uh technology, mainly expiral, a series expiril, which is a long-acting Novocaine, partly because there's no way to do spine surgery with no opiates because it's just too painful. But we want to get people through what is spine surgery is i think the most horrific pain of just about any surgery out there people say childbirth was like nothing it was like it, it was like a blip compared to a spine surgery and they're right so we needed to bring it down we can't do the elegant work you do where you have no opiates because you're doing you know the uh, the, the limb surgeries is a little bit less painful so you can get a get really a big benefit and and your patients are younger too right so you're more concerned about addiction than than we are we're trying to just get them to survive because people can literally die of opiate overdose in the initial period, not accidental. I mean, like they're in such pain that they're getting Medicaid and they just stop breathing even in the hospital. And so that's what we were really trying to get at in, in our protocol. You've gone much further than I have with any of this, so-
0: no, but I mean, I really want to congratulate both of you if you were a part of this. I mean, it's the, you know, how do you build a consensus? How do you change the way things are done within the medical uh, societies, especially? That's really, it's near impossible. It takes tremendous time and energy, right? The rooms were empty when I first started talking about this. And it's, you know, build consensus, one doctor at a time, one patient at a time, empowering people to know that there are options. So kudos to the two of you for really, you know, adopting this strategy and implementing it. Right. The first three days are the worst for most surgeries. You got to get them through that. And then you hopefully get them through the process as well. So so great work. So listen, guys, we're getting close, you know, but I I always like to end, you know, asking a question to provide some advice and counsel to our listeners. We have a tremendous number of medical students that follow us and listen to us as well. So I'm going to start you with you, JP. What advice would you give to the medical students out there right now who've just listened to this podcast and they're like, I need to become a
2: neurosurgeon? If you're already in medical school, then uh, you're very close. Um, I would advise that much like when you uh, show up to college, you declare a major and most people change their major and that's fine. But if you're showing up to medical school, be bold, declare what you want to do and set yourself on that path. Neurosurgery is a great major to declare because if you in your first year, two years, even three years of medical school, set yourself up to be a realistic Competitive, successful applicant into the neurosurgery match, and you decide during your third year, hey, actually, obstetrics is pretty cool. You're going to be very competitive for obstetrics. And along that way, the other advice I always tell people is just always be honest. So when you meet professors, when you're rotating on services, maybe 20 or 30 years ago when things were more malignant and more like you see in old movies people would try to please everyone at all times. And you're rotating on general surgery and, oh, wow, I I really want to be a general surgeon. And you're rotating on psychiatry and you go, oh, the mind is so fascinating. I want to be a psychiatrist. My entire career in medical school, I was completely honest. And it was, I'm going to be a neurosurgeon. I'm here with you for four weeks. What do you need done? I will do it. And then you work hard, you get along with people, but you don't need to lie and try to please them. Let them know who you are and what you're interested in and then still be the best student on the rotation. Love it.
0: Find a mentor is another great way to go. And mentors love to be mentors. So don't be afraid. Go up and shake hands with somebody that really fascinates you, that you may want to be one day. They'll be more than happy to help out. Mike, I'm going to give you a little actually. You know what? Of course. On that
2: note, let me actually tag that because you're completely right. And uh, I often say there are the three most influential men in my life are all named Michael, my father, my brother, and Dr. Wang. And in terms of the cold approach and just a hello and a handshake, if you don't remember, Dr. Wang, the way we met, I, again, wanted to be a neurosurgeon, no context, no knowledge, just completely out of blue. I was looking up faculty at our uh, University of Miami in the department, and I saw, you know, they had listed uh, recent publications for each faculty member. Dr. Wang had written an editorial about radiation exposure to spine surgeons. And it was titled Physician Protect Thyself. And being the artsy person that I was, I thought, oh, that's a really clever title. This guy's a good writer. Maybe I'll work with him. And I sent him a cold email. And that's how the last nine years of my life happened. So don't be afraid to reach out to people. Don't be afraid to
0: reach out because people are willing to listen and they want to most doctors that have gotten to the point where they really are so, you know, uh, uh, have gotten to the point in their career, they want to be able to share it and pass it on to other people as well. Mike, I'm giving you a little bit of a different question. You know, you're a master neurosurgeon. You've been in practice now, you know, for decades. You know, one of the most important things for me when I wake up in the morning is I'm really excited to go to work to do all the things that I do. What excites you about being a neurosurgeon when you wake up in the morning?
1: Yeah, you know, I don't know how I would have been as, as a dermatologist, but being a neurosurgeon, I got to meet great people like JP and and JP's done a lot more for me than I have for him. So I will tell you that I have not in one day of my life since 1996, when I finished medical school, regretted uh in any way, or been unhappy about what I'm doing. I'm not saying I don't have bad days or complications or days I'm sad, but I've never regretted being a neurosurgeon. Um, I don't know what it'd be like as an orthopedic surgeon. I have have more orthopedic surgery friends than neurosurgeons even. Uh, I think orthopedists are really cool. You were the cool kids. We were the kind of the geeks. Uh, Neurosurgeons have kind of access to grind, but I will tell you that um, it's amazing what we are privileged to do. And especially as surgeons, like, as you said already, Scott, if you do your job even properly, forget about excelling at it. You get to derive the thanks, the gratitude, the uh, mitzvahs, right? The whatever whoever's keeping count in heaven. And, and it's an amazing, amazing job. The danger, of course, is always that people are so susceptible to, um, you know, various temptations to to destroy that and destroy themselves. This is a most amazing field. I would encourage anybody listening out there to become a a surgeon, especially orthopedics, I think. Neurosurgery, we have a very fine filter. There's about 10,000 US medical grads, I think, in medical school a year something like that. It's probably more now. There's only about 200 and some odd spots in neurosurgery a year, right? We have a fine filter. We are looking for a special kind of person, a person who doesn't want to just say they're a neurosurgeon, as JP says he would never say. We're looking for the, the true Navy SEALs. We're looking for people who are willing to sacrifice everything, and I, I, I don't know how you'll feel about this statement, Scott. I've come a long ways thinking about the orthopedic and neuro thing with immense respect for both fields, right? And I don't want listeners who are un, uninitiated to get the wrong idea about what I'm saying, but I, I, I can put it in some context that if you were to take the extreme form, I think that in orthopedics, a lot of it is about lifestyle money. There, there is a big piece of that, right? That a lot of people say, I want to be the guy taking care of the giants or the guy taking care of the dolphins and all that. In neurosurgery, it's more like about power um, because we're grinding axes, right? You guys were the quarterbacks in high school. We weren't. And that is what fuels us. You just got to watch American Sniper or read Chris Kyle's book to understand what it's like to pursue with that passion. And and we love that. We love that extreme form of, you know, you're not balanced. You're going to be absolutely the best. You're going to sacrifice everything so that your patients can benefit so called so so our society can benefit so it's a long answer but i am never short of passion i love what i do i love meeting people like you uh and hopefully we can we can be be friends for life and do a lot of great things together scott
0: no i love it so i think you just you convinced a lot of medical school uh, medical students right now to ring the bell at buds to make sure that they're not going to go into neurosurgery <laughs> so don't worry about it your job is still secure no i mean i think from my perspective there's no greater job on the planet to be a healer. You know, take people that have demonstrable problems that you can take under your wing, you can fix them, get them back to work, get them to be a mother, get them to be a father, whatever it is that they do. They look at you when they're done and you made them better. And it's just such an amazing experience. So listen, guys, you have uh you, you have really set the ortho show world straight on what it's like as a neurosurgeon both in training, as well as a master neurosurgeon as well. This was a fantastic episode. We're educating our people. I think that I'm going to honorarily going to bring the two of you into the Cool Kids Club. You guys are neuropods and you're part of the orthopedic family. Woo-hoo! All right. Now, listen, JP, Mike, what a pleasure it is to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. My pleasure. This is Dr. Scott Sigmund. Hashtag follow the Fro host of The Ortho Show. Till next time.